Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York jazz pianist Billy Lester. He is a late bloomer on this jazz tree, and he comes from that school of Lenny Tristano. He is an instinctively lyrical and unfettered improviser who creates original compositions from variations on classic American song chord changes. His mentor was Sal Mosca, and he taught him well. He's had some great luck with some recording ventures recently and a brand new documentary. It's all about timing and luck, and he's got that and a lot of talent. Enjoy the story. Let me start off here at, at the very top, just letting you know how I ran into your music and, and your story. I saw a story come across NPR about a reclusive pianist, and I'm just curious, at, at the very outset of everything, how did, how, how did that story come about? How did that you know, tagline come about? How did all that start? About two or maybe three years ago, I was prodded to go to a, um, I don't know what they're called, like a jazz conference at, at uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center in New York to, um, to try to uh, meet some people who might want to listen to uh, my music. So I ran into, um, I was introduced to this really warm, sweet guy named Elon Mailer, who um, did listen to my music, and he runs a, um, a record company called Nouvelle, which produces only vinyl. And it's a very exclusive kind of uh, company. They they only sell to people who are audiophiles, et cetera, et cetera. And then he um, he asked if I would want to do a project for him, uh, do a recording. And he had a rhythm section already lined up for me, uh, which was Rufus Reed and Matt Wilson. That was it. It just, uh, we both felt each other's sincerity about music. And I think he appreciated mine, and I appreciated his, so I didn't feel that I was in any way put upon by him. I felt, like, really comfortable letting him create this, this project. And he also created a, a project where he brought in a film crew to my house, and they did a documentary about me. It, it's on, um, you can look at it. It's on the website called Jazz Is, J-A-Z-Z-I-Z. Um, so it was all from because of Elon Mailer who, as I said, I met about three years ago and just handed him a CD. And he became very interested in not only my music, but my uh, the way I conduct my life. And I have a feeling, I, I, I think it's safe to say, he, he found my lifestyle kind of inspirational. And so he was uh, very happy to, to, to plan all these projects for me. Does that answer your so, question? Yeah, it totally does answer my question. If you wouldn't have run into him, what, I mean, what would have happened? Would you have been trying to kind of, you know, push this on your own and get out there, or what, what do you think no. would have happened? No, I don't no. have that kind of personality. I would have just, um, I just would have continued on my merry way. Um, there's really not much more to say about that. I, I just, um, occasionally I'll... Uh, run into somebody and tell them about who, you know, who's a stranger who might have some connections in the so-called music business and I might give them a CD or, or you know let them all, all my music is posted on um, YouTube so people have access to my music but there was never anybody that I felt completely comfortable with until uh, Elon so I think it was just fated to be that way um, yeah 
Uh, I really don't have any other answer for you other than um, most of my life was just dedicated in, to uh, exploring my musical mind, and um, I would then occasionally go into a recording studio and record solo, and I've put out a bunch of CDs on my own. Uh, and I had a, um, a sort of, you know, some, I don't know if you want to call him a publicist or whatever, and he would mail out a bunch of my CDs, and I occasionally would get nice reviews. But that was really the extent of it. So how did this music journey begin for you? How did you get uh, fall in love with jazz? How did it all start for you? I can't remember not playing the piano. I mean, I started playing when I was four years old, and I always just loved music. So uh, by the time I got into junior high school, I just I was already pretty good, you know. I mean, I had been taking piano lessons all those years and studied classical music, and I was very interested in in pop, also popular music, and I knew a little bit about jazz. I, I got at first I was very uh, enamored with rock and roll, and then when I got into junior high school, I, I met a, 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 a young guy who was very much more advanced with me in terms of jazz and he invited me to his house to play and he had an older brother who was interested in jazz and then they started doing they they would play like local gigs we're talking about this is before keyboards so the music you'd play a local gig which would be like a dance gig you know for like a, a wedding or a party or any, anything like that I just gravitated to it. There was there was there was no nothing else that I was interested in, and so I tell I tell my students the people who do well are the people who are curious, and I just was you know anything I any way I could learn something about music I I just did because I loved it. It wasn't it wasn't a chore. And so this friend of mine from from junior high school had an older I said had an older brother who. I was taking lessons with Sal Mosca, who I had never heard of and I knew nothing about. And just I, I, there was one day I just decided to give him a call. I got really, really serious about jazz, and there were all these musicians who were studying with him and who who were studying with Lenny Tristano, and I got interested in their music. And uh, one, just one thing led to another. I always, when I was growing up watching TV, I always loved the jazz players who would come on TV. I love Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra, and I remember seeing Benny Goodman, and I loved that music. And and plus the fact that all the the, the songs from the Golden the Golden Songbook, where I'm talking about American standards from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, that music was very accessible. In other words, you would just turn on the radio and you would hear anybody singing these songs. And then I remember watching the Steve Lawrence show in the 50s and 60s, and he would always have um, singers come on. You know, I there was it was like I was surrounded by all those that kind of po popular music, which was before um, rock and roll really ascended to the to the mainstream, and before um, uh, music went electric. So I just I just loved all that music and um, there was no choice for me. I, I wanted to just be as good as the people that I that I idolized and I was a very hard worker. And then when I studied with Sal Mosca, my I became very disciplined in my practicing and and as I said, I got to meet I got to meet a lot of 
people who were also very, very serious. And I got to hear Sal play live, and I got to hear Lenny Tristano play live, and I, I got to hear Lee Konitz and Warren Marsh, and I got to know them all. And, and I, I felt very comfortable in in those surroundings. I felt like this is where I belong. So I think I just got started right as soon as I started taking piano lessons at age four. It just felt like this is this this was home for me. There was no other place where I felt comfortable. So what was the very first jazz show that you saw live that really blew you away? I can say that hearing the Lenny Tristano performance of, in 1964 at the Half Note uh, was was a very important crossroads in my life. Like they, In those days, the gigs were two weeks long, so they, they'd play six nights a week. And I remember I, I hearing, hearing that music live completely sewed it up for me. Like this is this was really great stuff. And great stuff in in the way that, that resonated with me. It was like serious but fun and and really challenging. And anyway at that gig I went like I think I went about six or seven times over the course of those two weeks just to hear it night after night after night after night. And then as I said, um I, I became acquainted with all these people who were taking lessons with him and taking lessons with Sal Mosca. It was like going to school. We, there would be sessions all the time and talking about music and all, a very serious atmosphere. That gig from 1964, I think, was the, the one that really set it going. And then I got to hear Bud Powell play live, in, uh, I think the same year. Uh, Bud Powell was one of my idols and still is. And he had just come back from France, and I got to hear him opening night at Birdland. That was also a gig that really inspired me. Like, like to hear him in person, as opposed to like the fantasy of hearing it on a recording. It was. Uh, it really made me realize, like this guy, that that was really a human being playing that music. Again, I was really inspired. So with, I had so much inspiration, you know, like I, I just couldn't wait to, to practice all the time. I, I just, I had no problem, <laughs> no problem being in, mus- in music at all. And then as far as, you know, the so-called reclusiveness, I never thought of myself as a recluse. I think what they meant was that I was musically reclusive. I didn't try to hang out and be part of any, any performing scene. I had so much to practice and so much, uh, and I had so many friends who were also uh, studying and playing that I didn't, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. What do you like the best about being a musician? What's the thing that you look forward to the most every day? To, I can ex- so I, that I can express my feelings. We've been going through a very strange time on planet Earth with the pandemic and everything else that's been going on in America over the past year. When music starts going live again and we start getting out and, you know, me as an audience member, you as a musician, other musicians, what do you hope we all realize about this absence of live music? You know, it doesn't, the absence of live music has really had no effect on me. If anything, I know a lot of musicians who who said this has been a blessing, meaning that it's gotten them back into just practicing and soul searching about their own music. So I don't I don't really know 
I, I don't feel like there's anything missing for me. That's, that's my personal selfish take on it. I do know that it's a shame that musicians, you know, who, who depend on performing for their living, that, that's, really, that's really hard. You know, I hope everybody, uh, if that's what they want to do, and I hope everybody gets back to it so that they can earn a living. But in terms of actual live music, I, I, I mean, I have live music in my, in my home every day. It's me. Or, or I, I still, you know, listen to recordings of the people that I love. So I haven't, I haven't really thought about uh, the fact. I, I haven't missed live music. Billy, thank you for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about your life and music and, you know, the world at large. And um, I appreciate it. I, I really enjoy your music, and I'm glad I discovered you, and I'm glad that I get a chance to, to expose you and show you to uh, my audience at Neon Jazz. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview. We give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Billy for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.